0: It's a book that I suppose, to be honest, I've steered away from is because uh, sometimes when we look at Revelations, we can seem to think that Revelations is a book that's a bit mystic and a bit um, confusing. But I would, I would, oh, sorry, YPs, Young People's Discipleship Group. Sorry, Nick. There they go. That's our 12 and 13-year-olds. Okay, uh, that's the group they go to. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, so And sometimes Revelations, uh, we can think, but I'd like to say Revelations isn't a mystic book or it isn't a confusing book. I think it's just a very unique book uh, and something that uh, uh, can be in highly profitable and very, uh, uh, very good for us. Because as we dive into this, um, the first three chapters of Revelation is a uh, particular, there's uh, th- seven churches that are described there, or, or Jesus speaks to seven churches. And He commends them, but He also corrects them. And in the midst of that discussion, or in the midst of Revelations, just the first three chapters anyway, we see clearly that that's not just good for the people 2,000 years ago. It's also incredibly helpful and profitable for us to take note of what's being said there as well. And so I pray that my prayer would be that you'll glean incredible stuff, to, um, not just today, but the next several weeks as we dive into it, um, into Revelations. And... Um, you know just just uh quickly uh while we will not be addressing the letters in chapter 2 because we just want to start in chapter 1 uh that are written to the seven churches i will mention them because uh, they are there are uh, seven churches and um they were churches that were all in the one area in what was then called Asian Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. It's in the western seaboard of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, Italy's to the left. The Mediterranean is below it. If, if, there's a picture here I just took the liberty of putting up so we can just get a bit of geographical location. See Italy on the left. you got you got Judea and Jerusalem right down in the right. So the Mediterranean Sea's there, Athens. Uh, and then we got the seven churches that are named there, and, and they're uh, what's called uh, you know, under the word Asia, but literally that's Turkey, okay? Does that give you a bit of an idea? Is that okay, a bit of a backstory. Um, and the seven letters give us a divine diagnose, diagnosis to see how Jesus sees the church. Uh, because when we uh, hear about the church these days, sometimes the Christian church, uh, sometimes uh, the church can get some pretty bad reports, uh, some pretty, any social media sometimes, and the church is, uh, maybe uh, copying it. And to be honest, is some of it can be valid, but I, I really don't want to be, uh, I, I want to look past that, because uh, we live in, a, we have an imperfect church. If, you, if you're looking for a perfect church, um, I th- actually, I don't think there's any. <laughs> I can't even give you a recommendation, but we'll talk about that a bit later on. Um, but, um so we want to talk about now, interesting enough, if you're talking about revelations, there was one man who wrote it, well, he, he scribed it, he put it all down, and his name was John. He was one of the close associates and disciples of Jesus. In actual fact, if we're led to believe what the scriptures said, he was the closest. Uh, and um, if you look at John's life, uh, he, he was an eyewitness to all the miracles of Jesus. Um, he was he actually at the cross. Um, all the other disciples had left, and yet John was at the foot of the cross, looking at Jesus there um, as Jesus was crucified and, and died. And interesting enough, at that cross scene, Jesus looked down when he was still alive, and he he said that, um, he said to John, "Look after my mum," because Mary was there, his mother, his his maternal mother was there. And, and you know, when you when you you ask someone to look after your mother, that's a, probably a, probably a close friend, hey? And so John, of all the 12, was probably one of the closest to Jesus. In actual fact, he was one of those who, who, who was one of the first, along with Peter, to be the empty tomb of Jesus as well. And so John was the youngest disciple too. Um, Jesus probably probably picked him when he was in his teenage years. Okay, So Jesus had a youth ministry happening in his own 12 discipleship group and uh john lived the longest he lived at least uh, 90 plus years uh so we see uh, john's life and he of course um he they tried to uh, uh tried to kill john uh, the authorities uh uh they actually had succeeded in killing all the other disciples martyring them peter was crucified upside down on a cross because he says i'm not worthy to be crucified the up the same way as my savior jesus Now, you won't find that in the Bible, but you will find it in historical manuscripts. And the other thing in historical manuscripts is John, the way they tried to kill him was put him in a boiling vat of oil. But you know what? He survived. (laughs) So I'm not sure if that was an incredible miracle or what, but that's what they say in historical documentation. You know what they did in the end? They took John and they exiled him to an isolated place. They they said, if we can't kill him, we'll just get rid of him so he doesn't continue to spread the message of this Jesus. And so they put him on an island and they put him on the island of Patmos. Actually, I think that slide had the Patmos island located on it. Did it? Can we stick that one up again? Crete? No. Yeah, look, yeah, Patmos It's not, but it's just off the coast of where those seven churches are. It's just literally... Only about 50 or so kilometres uh, from Turkey. Anyway, thanks, thanks, um, Vashti. So, um, so Patmos in those days was not the Mediterranean tourist hub that it is today. If you go to Patmos, it's a lovely village. You can go there as a tourist and enjoy it. It was a, it was more of the, uh, you know, it certainly it was a barren island. Hardly anybody was there. Only criminals were there. You were just taken by boat, dumped there and left there. And John, that's what happened to John. He lived in a cave for quite a while. He was there for about 18 months, we say. He was there for about 18 months. Um, and then he was taken off. But Patmos was a very rugged, isolated place. And uh, and John had to face that. And all when, he, when he was on the island, uh, there was a particular day, or maybe even more than one day, where he was worshipping Jesus uh, in the hardship of what he faced. And in that moment, the Spirit of God came down and revealed to him revelations, and he wrote it down. And so that's where we get revelations. Are we all on board with that? Is that cool? So revelations is a divine, um, a divine uh, diagnose, diagnosis of uh, a lot of things, future events, present events, but also it tells us a lot about Jesus himself personally. Uh, so uh, we're going to dive into it. Revelation literally means uh, the unveiling. So if you were to think about that, making something known that was previously unknown. Uh, have you ever said, uh, that comes as a revelation to me? Have you said that? Or you've enlightened me? Well, that's what revelation is about. It's an unveiling of truth for now and for the future. And that's what the book was written about. I, I remember the, the, uh, the night that I first met my, not knowing at the time, but met my wife, I had an incredible revelation. You know what it was? That is the most beautiful creature I've ever seen. I was enlightened. And you know what? She'd come to church already before that, once at least. And I, I, I kind of saw her, but never saw her. Have you ever had those moments you've read a Scripture, and you think, oh, that's good, and it's been positive, positive. and then you read it a week later, and like something jumps out of you? It was like that. I'd seen Michelle before, but now I saw her. <laughs> revelation. That's what revelation is. <laughs> Uh, so um, let's talk. Let's read Revelation chapter one fourteen to sixteen. Uh, sorry, four verse four to sixteen. Uh, is that okay? Chapter one. We'll start there. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So he's writing this to the seven churches. They're all going to read it. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and is to come. That's referring to God. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, which is basically speaking of the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, uh, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own, what's that? Blood. And has made us kings and priests to his God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, and every even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. We're just singing about that. There's coming a day when we'll see him face to face again. And then the words in red, verse 8, is Jesus literally saying this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which is the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. Uh, The beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So he, they put him there because he was testifying of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet um, and saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last and what you see written right in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. They're the seven churches. If you can pronounce them better, come and see me later. Then I turned to see, look, I, that moment, i just paused for a moment. I'm so glad that John, even though in the, iso- the rugged isolation of this island, took a moment to continue to worship God, hey? Uh, because if he didn't, and what he wrote down could have been just some Herbie he ate on the island, and he's hallucinating. But it wasn't. It was the spirit of God that came down and spoke to him, and he wrote it down uh, in this in Revelation. Thus, Revelation was came to fruition. Verse twelve. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now he's got a vi- having a vision, and in the midst of these seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which is speaking of Jesus Christ, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded with about the chest with the golden band, his head and hair were like white, white uh, so were white like wool. So have you got white heads today? Anybody got gray hairs? You're just like Jesus. Is that okay? And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. So here we go. I want to ask you three questions today. I've said all that to say this. Three questions and three questions uh, that regarding this passage today. And the first question is really a straightforward question. It's this, am I washed by Jesus? Now, you may, know, you may not know what that literally means. You may think you may have an idea of that. We'll just hold fire for a moment and we'll explain it. But what Jesus wants us to see here and know about Jesus is that he loves and cleanses um, us from the sin in our lives. Okay, and in chapter 1, verse 5, what I read, it says, he has loved us and what washed us from our sins in his own blood. When you read the book of Revelations, you'll see there's a picture in there, and the picture, the word picture that they form is of all these people who are um, from a multiple, a multitude of people from different nations who are all around the throne of Jesus, and they're they're worshipping Jesus, and their garments are white robes, okay, that's what it is, they're white robes, all of them have white robes, and when you kind of read that part of Revelations and get that picture, the white robes is not like a fashion statement, okay, Everybody's got to wear a white, white robe. Now, it's not a fashion statement, but what it is, is a statement about their status before God. Okay? And the white robe basically is saying, you've been washed and you've been cleansed. You have been made righteous because of who? Jesus Christ. So it's not a fashion statement, these white robes, but it's simply a declaration of where they stand with God in their hearts. It's a metaphor of their heart. They've been forgiven. They've been cleansed. I reckon that's a wonderful thing. Um, You know, uh, I have several uh, white or white kind of T-shirts with writing on them. I have several of them. I usually wear them through the week to church here at the office. And and, um, just a week ago, I uh, was eating a uh, cherry tomato. And I had it in my mouth. And I've now discovered you've got to make sure your lips are sealed when you eat a cherry tomato. Because somehow, uh, as I crunched on it, it was very crunchy. You ever crunched on a really crunchy cherry tomato? And the little seeds, they spurted out. And, you know, they it, as they spurted out, somehow they just landed all down the front of my white T-shirt. I thought, well done. Couldn't do that trick in 100 years. But anyway, uh, so here's this white T-shirt, red seeds. And I had to change it because I had another appointment. But you know what? I've learned what to do with dirt, dirty clothes or clothes that I uh, spoiled or, or just got you know, they're not right. I've learned what to do. There's a thing in my house called a laundry basket, and I go and put it in that laundry basket, and you know what, in two or three days time, it's amazing, but the things I put in that basket end back up in my drawers, all folded clean and tidy. It's amazing. Has anybody else realized that had this revelation? It's amazing, isn't it? Um, you see, all of us know what to do with All of us know what to do to get the stains out of our clothes, but some of us, or, or, or people struggle with getting not quite sure what to do to get the stains out of their hearts. And through, John is trying to, through the Holy Spirit, and John's writing it through Jesus, what they're, trying, what they're trying to say is, how do I clean an unclean heart? Because we know what to do with clothes, but we know what to do with our hearts, and you know some people, of course, because it's my clothes, it's easy. But if it's sometimes it can be the area of sin and shame and regret, and my heart feels unclean, I'm not quite sure how to clean it. And you know what, people can think, well, you know what, I'll just change my circumstances. I'll just change to a new city. I'll change. Jobs, I'll change spouses, I'll change whatever it takes. I'll turn over a new leaf and, and then I'll be away from the problem and I don't have to face that problem, and I'll be right. I'll be right. I'll be okay. But I want to tell you something. People can think I just need to move or I just need to do that, but there's only one cleansing agent that cleanses the human heart, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is when Jesus died upon a cross, he took our sin upon himself and he wore our sin all of our sins, so that we could wear wear all of His righteousness and holiness and purity. So that when we ask uh, for forgiveness, God looks at us through Jesus and sees us as like a pure white robe on us, metaphorically speaking, but a pure heart. That's why when we open this book of Revelations, we see this picture of all these christian people dressed in white robes because it's the picture of the fact that when you and i say yes to jesus and put our faith in god you were no longer clothed in yesterday's mistakes come on you're no longer clothed in the regrets of last year come on you're no longer wearing uh, the shame that came with that addiction come on you no longer have to do that what you got, what you have is you have you've swapped it out you've got the cl- robe of, of of purity on and it's called righteousness. And you've been washed and cleansed and made new. And I, I think that's the, one of the most powerful things about the Christian faith. No one else, no other faith or belief system has that particular one. Where we can, now does not mean we're perfect? Far from it. But what it means is that we can know perfection living in us. And God sees us as righteous and, tr- and right. So here's the picture we need to understand. It's not perfect people that get to heaven, folks. Don't ever think that. It's washed people that get to heaven. And that means all of us, you know, has, have stained our clothes at some time or another. And the Bible says in verse uh, chapter seven fourteen of Revelations, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And don't get freaked out about blood. Blood, it's interesting. We haven't got a fountain in the foyer. We don't have that little baptismal font filled with blood so we can just wash you. No, of course not. But it's metaphorically speaking. And what's happening? Um, what's happening there is we, we, by faith, we say yes to Jesus. And when he, when that happens, he takes all of my sin by faith, and I receive your, his righteousness. And maybe today you're here in, ch- in church, and maybe you need to actually do that because the Bible goes on to say, John, in another book that he wrote, not just Revelations, he wrote these other three little books, In one, John one nine, he says, if we confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Notice the terminology, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's Jesus. So I think we just need to be reminded about that. So that, that's the so there's the first question. Are you washed by Jesus? The second question from chapter one of Revelation is this: not only am I washed, but am I standing with Jesus? Because we see John's vision helps us to see where Jesus stands and where we need to stand in relation to Jesus, okay? We don't need to stand apart from Him. We need to stand with Him. And how do, can we stand with Him? Well, we can stand with Him by standing with Jesus in hardship, okay? Because in Revelations 1, verse 5, what we read, I read to you, it says that Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, but the faithful witness, um, do you know, in Jesus' day, uh, there was a lot of persecution of those who believed in him. Particularly after after he died and rose again, he left this whole bunch of people who were Christians, and, and there was a lot of persecution. I mean, there was things like, you could be executed for not worshipping the Roman emperor, because he was seen as a god, and if you didn't worship him, uh, you, you could be executed. I mean, so th- it was pretty tough. I mean, we say that sometimes our Christian faith can be pretty tough these days. We had some hardships that we 've got to face. Um, I understand that, but the reality is is that in Australia, we really haven 't got persecution, but in other countries around the world, the present day there 's people in jail and people martyred for their faith in Jesus. But it was no different to back then, and we see uh, what was happening there and you know when we um, When we become Christians, uh, believe in Jesus, it's wonderful the things that we actually see that get better. There's a lot of things that can get better, but there's also some things that just get a little bit more difficult, and sometimes it's standing with Jesus that sorts the sheep from the goats, because sometimes other people don't understand the commitment you made to Jesus, or the response, and people sometimes get convicted by that or they get upset with you about that they don't like you or they don't understand that it's not that you've done anything nasty it's just that you've got to stand stand up for what you know is right and true without getting bombastic or trying to prove yourself no you just got to stand on the truth i remember when i be when i was working at the glass and power station in my, quite a while ago now and i was a zealous christian and we all should continue that but I would share my faith with people and with 850 guys who, you know, some of them weren't that excited about me (laughs) because of my faith in Jesus. And I don't know, I've kind of worked out that some of it was just conviction. I had a guy who'd come up to me and he'd go nose to nose with me and he'd tell me a really dirty joke. And it really upset him when I just smiled, turned around and walked away and didn't respond or react. But, you know, um, and so there can be some hardship sometimes. That's what I'm trying to say. Do you know what I'm saying? Not everybody understands your commitment to Christ. But I'm, uh, I think we've got to stand strong. I've also had those moments where I had guys from that power station come and talk to me and say, how do I, how do I get to know God? How, how can I become a Christian? I've led, led some of those guys to Jesus. I had a man uh, about um, 10 years ago, one of the hardest supervisors I ever worked on. He was a swearing, cursing guy, and you know, and I was an apprentice at the time. He'd get make it the hardest he could for apprentices. It was like apprenticeships had apprentices had this sign on their head, just make it really hard. <laughs> and um, he rang me up ten years ago. His name's Barry. He said, uh, "James, do you remember me? I'm Barry." I said, "Barry Constable, yeah, Barry, I remember you. I remember you." And I'm thinking, "What's he going to ring me up for? Is he going to have a go at me again?" And he said to me, you know how you are a Christian believer in Jesus? I said, yes, Barry. Suspicious about what he's about to say. And he says, I've become one. And I just want to, yeah, come on, give the Lord a hand. And he said, "Um, I'm serving Jesus in my local church. I think he was living on the Sunshine Coast. He was in his retirement years. And he said, "Um, just thanks for being a witness, mate. I said, Barry, he says, I know, I know. I was a mongrel, excuse that language. You know, he was obviously it to be totally redeemed. But anyway, it wasn't a bad word. But he says, I know, I know what I did to you guys and the way I spoke to you. But you know what? Jesus has changed my life. Anyway, that's about some of the hardships. we have got to stand with Jesus. And I'm so glad Jesus, he didn't detour from the cross and say, oh, look, someone else could take the cross. I don't feel like it today. No, he, he, he was a faithful witness to the end. And you know what? He asked us to be the same. And sometimes when we face little things like, please, forgive me, I'm not trying to belittle it, but we can face sickness or we could face strained relationships or we can face difficulties in life or criticism or unanswered prayers. But it's not the time to, to walk away from your faith in Christ. It's the time to run into him. And so we have got to stand with Jesus in hardship. How well should we stand? This is under the topic of standing stand with Jesus in worship and and Jesus teaches us in this passage that we should worship God uh, you know publicly, privately persistently and uh john was it says in verse ten that John was worshiping the Lord on the lord's worshiping God on the Lord's day. Now what's that? What's the Lord's day? That's what it says in verse ten of what we read to you look. You've got to understand, for thousands of years, the Jewish people worshipped on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a Saturday, and so that's, what, so that's what they did. And then this Jesus comes along, He dies, He rises again, a whole bunch of Christians are left, and they said, let's worship God on the day He rose from the dead, and that was a Sunday. And that's why you're here today, because that's a tradition, isn't it? But let it become more than a tradition. Let us publicly continue to worship Him, because it's a witness to this world as we stand together. I tell you what you're doing when you come you come publicly. Uh, come together on on a Sunday, it's more than some traditional ritual that we hear today. It's an actual opportunity to worship our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's an opportunity to slap the devil in the face and say, out of my life, because I'm going to push through. I'm going to worship my God, no matter what. It's an opportunity, even as parents, to reflect to your kids that, hey, we're we're a family that are going to serve and love and worship God. It's a public witness. And so we need to stand with Jesus in public worship. And I understand some of you have got to get your kids up, wipe the Vegemite off their face, you know, find a car park. Apparently, that can get a little bit difficult sometimes. I appreciate that you you work, you're pushing through, and it's just more than a good idea or just the proper thing to do uh, to come to worship. But it's a statement that you want to worship the Living King, the Faithful Witness, Jesus Christ. You know, we need to worship Him. Um, not just publicly, but we need to worship Him privately. Think of John on an island of Patmos. He didn't have a keyboard in the background. He didn't have a, a choir happening. He was in a cave, and he just decided, I'm just going to worship Jesus anyway. And privately, he worshipped. And we can worship anytime, any place. And, uh, and you know what? I've, d- I've come to understand worship, even private worship, can turn a Patmos into a place of revelation. Even a place of exile and barrenness into a place of incredible incredible enlightenment and joy and peace. So here's the thing. Not only publicly did we need to stand with Jesus and worship, not only privately, persistently. Um persistently. For eighteen months I think John, that's all he could do on that island. He didn't have much besides trying to gather food, besides trying to find a place to sleep, which is we understand, was in a cave for a portion of time until he built some kind of dwelling. But he, he, he would just continue. He was persistent. And that's why, I mean, an angel doesn't come down and, unless you're open to receive and tell you a, a vision about the next book you're going to write in the Bible. But John was. And, and I, I, look, please don't wait for Jesus to turn up. And then you said, I'll worship when Jesus turns up. No, 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 no. Worship and find out that the Spirit of God will turn up when you start to worship. Because it says that God inherit, inhabits the praises of His people. Okay. Okay. So not only are we standing with Jesus in hardship and standing with Jesus in worship, but the the other little sub-point, standing with Jesus in fellowship. So important, we stand with Jesus in fellowship. The seven letters to the seven churches, uh, uh, um, they had some issues. Did you know that seven churches Jesus qu- he gives them he commends them but he corrects them. In other words the seven churches had some issues and they weren't perfect churches were they I said earlier find the perfect church tell me about it and we can all go along there and if I go we'll make it imperfect won't right? that's the truth isn't it um, but see there's no perfect church but here's what I love about this passage Revelation chapter uh, 1 and verse 12 and 13 basically talk about the seven golden lampstands And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, which is Jesus. So the lampstands represent the church, seven churches, seven lampstands. The church is asked to be a light on the hill, light of the world, etc., etc. So the seven churches are represented by seven golden lampstands. Then we see where Jesus is. Where is Jesus? It says Jesus is standing right there in the middle of the seven churches. I love this. We're living in a day, uh, you know, that there is no perfect church. There it never has been. And um, and sometimes, as I said earlier, there can be times where social media people just want to take pot, sh- pot shots at Jesus' church. Uh, but I don't want to be one of them because you know what? Jesus is on the side of the church. It's His church. He loves the church. He died for the church. He created the church. He corrects the church. He serves the church. He works for the church. His whole life is for the, for His church and when and and Jesus takes criticism of his church personally, so when Jesus shows up in a vision to- sh- to John, the first thing Jesus wants to talk about is the church. Is the church perfect? No, it's not, but where does Jesus stand in regard to imperfect churches? Well He stands right in the middle with us, and Jesus serves his church, corrects it, blah blah blah, but he has never abandoned his church, and I'm so glad so Number one, have you been washed by Jesus? Number two, have you, have you you do you stand with Jesus in hardship and worship and fellowship? And here's the last thing, and we'll finish with this this morning. Am I ready for Jesus? So number one, am I washed? Number two, am I standing with Jesus? Number three, am I ready for Jesus? We sang about it this morning. Malcolm mentioned it and read a verse talking about this tent that we live in. It's imperfect, but one day we'll have a house in heaven. That'll be a lot better, won't it? Uh, and... Uh, People can, uh, And sometimes we can think as we live this life that that it's hard times, that we're facing crisis. And look, I appreciate we can all face different crises at different times. In the first century, it wasn't easy. Christians uh, found it difficult. They faced their own crisis, persecution and execution for their faith in Jesus. And as I said, really not here in Australia, but other countries still today face execution and imprisonment for their faith in Jesus. But beyond all the crisis that there is, there's a far greater crisis on the horizon. And in verse 7 of Revelations 1, it says, Behold, He's coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and everyone who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Now please understand, let me explain something. The word mourn is a very nice word. I think it's too nice in the translation. That's the New King James. They say mourn, but in the Old King James, they say wail. And if you look at that word, the wail means to even get grief to to such a point where not just crying. You're not just kind of squeezing out a tear, but it's just tears flowing, beating your chest. It literally says that about this kind of grief. Now, this is the question I want to ask. Why in the world are people wailing when Jesus returns? Um, Why are they grieving when Jesus returns? Why would God say wailing? Because these people have not prepared themselves for Him. As you read that passage. They've ignored him and they've lived their lives their own way. And so the greatest crisis, Jesus shows up, is he, looking nothing, you know, the greatest, sorry, the greatest crisis we can think may be climate change in the world. Well, look, if you need climate change, go for it. I think we should look after our planet. Um, the greatest crisis, you may say, is the economy of the world. It's up and down and everywhere, or, or maybe it's COVID, or maybe it's something else. I want to tell you, yes, but they pale into insignificance when Jesus returns, because the greatest crisis will be people who said, oh, I should have responded to Jesus. Now, we won't go there, but there is possibly an opportunity after Jesus takes all those who believe in him that you may get a second chance. uh, Because uh, anyway, that's another story for another time. But Revelation talks about a lot of people going to heaven uh, after Jesus' return and, and going there without their head. But that's another conversation. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Just Who knows what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, righto. <laughs> um, but here's something I want to bring to your attention. When Jesus shows up for the second time, he was here as a sa- saviour, but now he's going to come as an all-conquering king. When Jesus um, turns up the second time, he doesn't look anything like his Jesus walking on the earth along the seas of Galilee, okay? Because it says in what we read this morning, he says is... And when you look at him in Revelations, in his post-resurrection glory, his hair is like white wool, white as snow. Okay, His eyes were like fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. His voice is like the roar of many waters. White hair represents the wisdom of God. Jesus has an incredible knowledge and application of uh, how to do life best. Um, fire in his eyes literally means he sees through our masks and sees our hearts. Doesn't he? He's always done that. He sees through my facades. He sees through yours, and He sees into our hearts, doesn't He? And He still loves me. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> and the voice, the voice, oh, sorry, the feet, the feet are like burnished bronze, ready to crush the devil's head, to crush and destroy everything that wants to try and hurt us, ready to pull down every demonic power, ready to, yeah. For this purpose of the God was sent up, uh, purpose of, uh, was manifest. To destroy the works of what? The evil one, it says in Scripture. His voice is like the roar of many waters. In other words, it's like the sound of the voice of God. We we sing a song. There is a king seated among us. I want you to understand, it's no longer the baby Jesus, meek and mild. It's the soon coming king, conqueror, victorious, white hair flowing in the breeze. (laughs) <laughs> you know he's coming. It he is not just the Jesus of what we used to. We read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's a Jesus, a post of revelation that comes to judge the living and the dead. Uh, but he judges us correctly. Isn't that good? If I'm going to ever be judged, I want to be judged by Jesus. He comes. You know the greatest crisis that you face today is getting to that point when Jesus would return, whether you're alive or dead. Remember, if if we all die, I've got a sneaky suspicion it might be quite a while but I'm not I don't know when Jesus is returning it does say we know a season but we won't know the time and maybe we'll not be here but you know whether you're alive or dead if Jesus returns it says you know we'll be judged but if we know Christ we'll be judged as righteousness we'll be ready will we be ready Gee, it's a long time since I've heard that in church are you ready (laughs) yeah he's a conquering Jesus he's come back He's not the beaten and whipped peasant preacher still on a cross, but we we serve. We don't serve that. We serve a victorious, overcoming, defeated, the grave, risen Savior, Jesus. And uh, so here we go as the team come. Have you been washed? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you stand with Jesus in, in hardships at times, in worship, publicly, privately, and, and persistently? Do you, do you also stand with Jesus in fellowship? fellowship? And finally, am I ready for Jesus? So that's what I found in Revelation chapter one. You never know what chapter two might hold, but you know, I want to encourage us today. Um, I don't see Revelation, as I said before, as as revealing some, as mysterious, and I don't see it as a deep political agenda, okay? Some would say that Donald Trump's in Revelation somewhere, or you know Gorbachev was many years ago they said he was the antichrist i'm not going to do that because what i want to see is i see that revelation isn't confusing it but it helps reveal jesus to every one of us more and more it does talk about a future um, a future but it talks about christ it reveals that and i don't think it has to be all that confusing Do you know, as we move into this year, I know the last couple of weekends we've talked about breakthrough, and I just sense and feel that, you know, there's some things in your life and my life that we need to see some breakthrough happening, some changes, and it's not change in circumstances, it's the change of what's happening maybe in our lives that would then lead to change in circumstances. but. and what I want to do is I just want to encourage and promote that as a church, that we would together start to pray in the month of February and that you would take maybe at least one thing that you, maybe for a long time or just for a short time, that you just want to see God do something in that, that whole sphere, that whole area, in that space. You want to see God move, touch, do whatever it takes. But, you know, it's never going to happen just for wishful thinking. It says the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So I'm going to encourage us as a church to pray through the month of February. And the way I want to help us to remind you to do that is I've made up this little card and it's got a verse on top and then it's got three areas that you could put just right on there. This is what I want to see happen. I'm going to believe. And what you're doing when you do that is you're saying every day of my life in February, which is, you know, five days are gone already, um, I'm going to pray for that need. It might be one. It might be two. It might be ten. We'll just turn the card over and write every need down. But can I give you a card this morning? Is that cool? For you, to put it in your Bible. Put it on your fridge. Put it. Stick it to your husband's forehead. I don't care. But as long, as long as you take it and just say, you know what? Even if it's one point, literally bringing it before God could just take one sixty seconds. Do you know, I pray for my family, my extended family, and it literally only takes about three or four minutes. But I bring them. Can I, now, there's a verse on the top of that card. Look at that verse. Oh, here it is. Here's the card. Oh, you're, you're amazing. Vashti, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Psalm 55, verse 17, it says, Evening and morning and at noon I will pray, I will cry aloud, and he shall hear my what? Voice. David's written that. And this is what I want to say about that as we finish. It says, e- evening, morning, and noon. Do you know what that's saying? Get deliberate about praying. So whether you're a morning person, just pick a moment. Whether you're an evening person, I'm a morning person. After nine o'clock, I'm out. <laughs> but So be deliberate, but, and be faithful. That's what, that's what David's saying. I'm going to commit evening and morning at noon, I'm going to pray. And then it says in the second thing, I'm going to pray. I'm not going to just pray, but I'm going to cry out aloud. What's that talking about? It's not talking about a prayer out of duty, but it's talking about a heart that's invested in passion. You're invested in your heart into praying and believing for this. And you might say, I've been doing it for years. Well, don't give up. That's right. I've been praying for my salvation of my t- two sisters for decades. I'm going to continue to pray because I'm seeing some movement. I've visited them in the last couple of months. <laughs> so we've got to pray, cry, crying aloud. It's just talking about passion. You don't have to be loud. If, if you're just a soft prayer, it's just talking about the passion in your heart. Don't make it a ritual, just make it a passion. And the third thing David says, he, sh- he shall hear my voice. Now, when we pray, could you, could you be confident that God's hearing you? Saying, Ah, oh, I wonder if God's interested. My God is so interested in you. He so much wants to hear that. He wants to hear the rhythm of your heart. He wants to hear the the desires of your heart. He wants it. And and you know what David's saying? You know what? I'm just going to have faith and trust God. Did you notice the scripture doesn't say, and he will answer your prayer? No, it just says, he will hear your voice. Would you trust him to answer your prayer in his time, in his way, in his place? Not on my agenda, but his. So that's what I want us to do. Um, If you didn't want that card, that's okay. Give it to someone who does. That's fine. But I'd love to just jump. I think it's a reminder. It says, write the vision down in Scripture. In other words, this is what I'm believing for. You can have one, uh, whatever you need. I hope we got it. If we haven't got enough, we will go and print more off. How about we stand this morning as we come? Come on. And... uh, We're going to worship just for a moment. Thanks, team.